Welcome to the Workjoy Jam. In this episode, we are going to be talking to the fantastic Harriet Beveridge. Harriet is a coach, an author, and a stand-up comic. And one thing I love about Harriet is this combination of talking about work and stand-up comedy. And it's not a combination we often hear about. So a really interesting perspective on how we can borrow the techniques, borrow the things that stand-up comedians do in our working world to bring ourselves more joy, to bring more authenticity, to bring more productivity into our work. I really enjoyed this conversation with Harriet. I hope you do too. Um, Watch out for where we invent new words and use phrases that I've not heard before, like social lubricant. Um, Enjoy, and I will follow up with my key takeaways at the end. This week, we are joined by the fantastic Harriet Beveridge, and I'll get her to introduce herself in a moment. I'm really excited to have our conversation today. So Harriet, it would be great if you could tell our fantastic audience, like the old who you are and where you come from, uh, what's your story, and then we'll get into talking about you and what work joy means for you. Cool. Um, So I guess there's probably, I'll do this slightly left field, there's a story that probably sums me up, which is when I got my first ever paycheck, my first ever proper job, employee paycheck, like a good little corporate puppy, the first thing that I did was I trotted off and, you know, started a, a savings account. Um, so I did the right thing. But um, the branch of the building society I chose was in an electric avenue in Brixton, solely because then I could say that every month I would rock down to Electric Avenue and we can take it higher so the reason I it's because I think that sums me up that on one hand I'm a very I was a you know Oxford University head girl at school Ernst and Young management consultant qualified coach tick 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 but on the other hand I'm a stand-up comic and what I'm all about is the intersection of those two Venn diagrams in life um, you know, serious coaching, serious results, proper job issues, but done through humour, comedy. So that's me. So you have always been combining work and joy together. Well, I would say that to start off with, it was more of a dirty little secret on the side. My first, one of my first ever managers um, did that thing, you know, in appraisals where they go, so what do you think you've done well this year? And this is a blinding bit of panic, isn't there, where you go, well, if I say something too good, they're going to think I'm really smug. But if I say something, nothing, they're going to go, oh, come on. You know, it's like, how do you get this balance between kind of just the right level of smugness? Um, But I was about like 22 at the time. So I just jumped in and went, oh, I think I'm quite funny. Um, And uh, my manager, without missing a beat, went, no, I meant something relevant, Harriet. Ow! (laughs) So that was like, okay. So I kind of squirreled the funny stuff away. And I mean, I was probably always, you know, class clown on a project. Um, When I was at Ernst Young, I invented a board game, as you do. Um, So, you know, I kind of did bits and bobs, but uh, the stand-up comedy was very much a side, you know, hobby um, and not something that I was very open about. Um, It felt quite frivolous. So I think it's, it's only in the last 10 years that I've gradually gone, do you know what? These really align. 
and some magic stuff happens when you openly say to people this is where I play and 2020 my goodness you'd think on the one hand it was the least relevant year to bring humor and it kind of is but also on the other hand it's been the most relevant year to bring humor so for sure drop mic exit stage left (laughs) so tell me a little bit more about how you got into if you were keeping these two things separate to start with let's go separate so we know a bit about work we know what the corporate world is is like tell us more about how you got into the sideline of comedy well, I think I was always that that one, you know, with mates who I went, oh, you're really funny. You should, you know, you should, you know, you know, you're kind of down the pub and you're chatting and you're always the kind of the one holding court, as it were. Um, so it was always an itch that I wanted to scratch. And I went on a course back in 2003 where they did kind of plan your life goals. And, and even then I thought, oh, you know, stand up comedy is one little indulgent thing I'd like to do. And then, of course, there's a course for it, you know. Everything has a course on everything, right? Um, and it was yeah. that it was a friend who said, oh, "I'm going on a stand-up comedy course." I thought, "Oh my god, that's a thing!" Well, I'm I'm going to do that. And they are cunning, cunning as a fox, because what they do is they get you in a church hall to prat around for six weeks, and then on the sixth week they go, "Oh, we've booked a comedy club, and you're all doing a gig," and you go, oh, "All right then," um, and you and you get the bug. It's like, oh, just try this little bit of crack cocaine, you know, it's a freebie, and then they've got you it's the biggest rush it was the best fun and it all snowballed from there and how obviously a joyful experience I imagine but also quite scary in that first instance you've you know as you say prattled around in the church hall for six weeks and then you're stood on a stage at a comedy club with an audience um how did that feel well I've I mean I've I've always been quite anxious so I think in some ways that can be limiting, but it also can be quite liberating because if you're scared to kind of, you know, open the fridge door and get the milk out, then quite frankly, you might as well feel scared standing on a stage in front of 100 people, if that makes sense. So it was actually the stage fight was something like, oh, hi there. Yeah, you yeah, you, you, you know, you pitch up a lot in my life. Um, let's do this thing. Um, so, yeah, stage fight is, is, uh, is just... The norm, basically. So it's just an, another thing to go with. Let's just make it happen. It's another like feel the fear and do it anyway, because quite frankly, otherwise, you know, it, it would be quite dull. Um, and I know there's a lot of literature around if you really unpick emotions and you get down to their physicality, really watch the difference between, say, fear and excitement. And I do find that quite intriguing um, because a lot of it is quite similar in terms of the physicality. And a lot of it, for me anyway, is in the labelling of it. You know, your heart's racing. Well, is that because you're about to open a birthday present or because you think someone's about to punch you? It's this, it's, you know, there are differences, but a lot of it is in the meaning you give it. So I've been playing a lot around with that. I get to do this. You know, I get to fold the laundry. Lucky me. That's pretty cool. (laughs) You know, I get to uh, I get to stand on the side of a stage going, why did I step up to do this? Lucky me. And it just kind of changes the flavor. of it. I love it. And I, I'm really interested in the, the language you use there. It's like you can it can be limiting or liberating. And imagine if you just put liberating and everything you thought was limiting before and what you could do with your life if you were to take that approach. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things 
I say in, in that Venn diagram intersection between comedy and coaching is the narrative. Um, and I will go go more into this, but you know, comics have that ability to make anything funny. And okay, it's subjective, right? So you might go, I don't like that particular joke or that particular narrative, but you can still see the the skill of um and I say 2020 has been a good example. You know, if you look back at that year of of um you know, for me, first first lockdown, there were some memes, there were some jokes that, you know, in the in the in the height of all that terror, as it were, in the first lockdown you know it, it found a different way of looking at things so it's almost like taking that strategy of here is this horrendous thing and and humor providing the kind of oven gloves to to handle the hot stuff let's dig into that a bit more so i love i love the metaphor of the the oven gloves to handle the hot stuff and that the humor being those talk to us a little bit more about your thinking around this and how you help people or you yourself have helped yourself to use humor in that way to be able to handle the hot stuff the difficult situations the difficult conversations um the difficult times that people have been through well i think there's a couple of routes so there is something about embracing the humor and the comedy but i think um often people go you know that sounds like enforced jollity and that is the last thing I'm talking about. You know, the, the, the kind of David Brent <laughs> approach is, is, <laughs> is not where we're going with this. So I do think there's a piece about what authentically makes you laugh. And it'll be different for all of us, right? But the more that they do the research um, into, you know, what hum- when you're laughing, what it does to you. Um, and, you know, the endorphins it kicks off, the dopamine it kicks off. Um, the oxytocin, which is the kind of connectedness drug. So you know, it's the most joyous thing if you're in a stand-up comedy uh, gig and you're looking around the room and just everyone's with you and it's the most you know, amazing shared experience. So I think there's, there's something about finding the humour. And, and right now during lockdown, I've got, I've got a picture of a, um, a, 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 a seal, which is photobombing a, a picture of some penguins as my screensaver. <laughs> You know, and it's just like that kind of, you know, how, what is it for you that would give you the laugh? So that's one side of things, just finally. But I also think in my coaching work, it's more around, I'm not asking you to be funny. You know, don't think this is like, you know, get the, you know, get a clown's nose and, and, and no, it's around stealing some of the techniques that comics use um, for our world in the same way that, um, I mean, completely bonkers. I, I co-wrote a book called Will It Make the Boat Go Faster, which is all about an Olympic rowing team. Um, I co-wrote it with Ben Hunt Davis and it's how they, you know, how they won gold at Sydney. Now, I'm, I'm not a rower. I'm not sporty. I was that child with the Veruca sock, you know, in the swimming pool that everyone gave a wide berth to. I was the last one to be picked. My games teach, this is true. This is 1970s, 80s um, motivation for you. My games teacher me, said, said to me, Harriet, you waste energy with every step you take. I mean, you know, I'm not sporty, right? But I wrote a book about that because I just wanted to steal those ideas. I'm never going to get into a boat, yeah. but I'm going to steal those ideas. And in the same way, I think there's so many things that, that humour does and comedy does that even if you're, you're never funny, you never crack a joke, you can steal that stuff and, and, and bring more uh, joy, productivity, authenticity, you know, into your, into your life. Amazing. And it's so funny, isn't it? Because not everybody is or can be funny it's not in everyone's nature to want to be out there cracking jokes all the time so so let's talk a bit more about for people who find this stuff hard or kind of sitting there thinking oh 
hang on a minute, a comedy, how do I use this? What are some of those techniques? What are some of the things that people can do or you've seen work? What can we steal, as you say, from the world of comedy and bring them into our lives to help handle the hot stuff, to get a bit more joy, happiness, productivity in our lives? Yeah, sure. And, um, you know, stop me because I could whitter on for hours in terms of there's a gazillion different strategies. So I'll, I'll pick a couple. So, um, for example, assumption busting. I think that's probably front and center that any joke, if you look at a kind of classic joke setup, then you'll have some kind of, you know, setup line um, to kind of misdirect you. And then the punchline shatters that assumption. And all you're really doing is is getting to the truth or, or, or you know, shattering a preconception. So, for example, when I first started out in comedy, one of the jokes that I would um, say, brace yourself, Bertha, right? Okay, you're going to have to pretend to laugh at this one. I, it was my early days, right? So I'd stand up on stage and, I've, and I'd say, I've got two kids, uh, three and five rubbish names. Hey! You see, so th- th- with the assumption being that, you know, the three and five was the age and then the punchline yeah. is that it's their name. So, names. you know, terrible joke, right? Terrible dad joke. But it, it, it illustrates the point of how a joke is made. Yeah. And actually, it's that same technique that, you know, that coaching, problem solving, uh, dealing with uncertainty. It's like, what are the assumptions that we're making here and how can we shatter them? So, you know, comics are asking what could be funny here. And in you know normal world, as it were, if we just said, well, what's what's useful here? You know, how can I use this? It's, you know, it, it's yeah. almost like we're, we're standing at a, a locked door, scratching our heads going, how do I flipping unlock this? And, and comics would kind of catapult past you in, you know, comedy trousers and, 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 and you know, trampling over the top of the door to, to get through it, you know, or asking what could be useful might just get you to step sideways and go, oh, there's a there's another way through. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's I think that's the, that's a real key is that how much are we stuck in our thinking about this is a problem. This is a challenge. That person is difficult. You know, we can't do this. And just getting that mental agility to go, what if you could? You know, <laughs> what, 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 what's this situation giving us? Um, you know, for example, one of my, now again, this is controversial, right? This is subjective, but one of the jokes that really made me laugh at the start of lockdown um, was there was a whole string of um, on Twitter about Corona beer. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And and one of my favourites was someone said, it's okay, they've rebranded um, and they'd rebranded as Ebola Extra, you know, and it's just like, you know, that it's just, just so wrong, you know, just so, but, but it was just a different way of looking at it, right? And, um, you know, in the same way with, 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 you know, my coaching work, it might be, well, how can we use this constraint? How can we use the fact that we're all working from home or you've got no marketing budget or, um uh, you know, you, 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 you know, you you can't use that tactic that you normally use. Okay, how can we flip it and make it useful? So that's one idea. Yeah. Great. So it's kind of interrupting the usual pattern of it's a problem, it's a challenge. Um, yeah. We're never going to be able to have, find the answer. Um, we've got no budget, so we can't do anything. And all those um, assumptions and negative statements that we're looking at and actually going actually what could you do with this yes what exactly. would no marketing budget mean if you were being like a super creative person or if you were yeah. looking at it from a different angle 
And like if you take Brewdog, for example, they're one of my favorite companies and they had famously had no investors. They never even got onto Dragon's Den and they flipped it and went, right, how can we use that as a benefit? And they were one of the most successful crowdfunding projects of their day. Yeah. And actually they could look back and go, that was brilliant. We're not behold- we weren't beholden to investors. We had these, they called them punks, you know, these crowdfunding super fans who are now going to go and evangelize about us. And it became this yeah. massive, massive benefit for them. Yeah, and, and those people have now made loads of money because it's been amazingly successful. Yeah. Um, I mean, so that's one example. I mean, another example might be around difficult conversations. And I think there's probably a a kind of prejudice that people assume that comics will stand there, like stand-up comics will stand up on the stage and they will put down hecklers. And I mean, there are some, you know, very funny example of, of, of heckle put-downs, like Rufus Hound has written a whole book on heckle put-downs and they I mean they're just awfully brilliant they're just deliciously horribly funny um but you know that strategy only works if you have complete power you don't give a monkeys about the person in the audience and you're going to leave town that night and you've got good security you know that that's that's that works (laughs) in that context and I generally suggest that most of us in the corporate world don't have that luxury no because sometimes the difficult person you're trying to have a conversation with or the difficult conversation you need to have is like your boss who's in charge of your career and your paycheck and all of those kind of things exactly so I look to there's some fantastic comics out there and my one of my heroes is Jared Christmas um and he he just he does this thing of using the improvisation technique of always using an and. So he'll, whatever the heckler gives him, he'll just take it, acknowledge it, and he'll turn it into something. So he's maintaining rapport. And the fu- one of the funniest nights I saw him was, was this drunk guy who, it's quite challenging as a comic if you've just got someone who's drunk and is like, uh, uh, you know, and doing, it's like, you can't really work with it. There's not a comment that you can do wordplay with. You've just got, you know... <laughs> it's like a dog barking um and jared does this brilliant thing of like you know oh you're obviously a bit feisty tonight i think you need a hug um and it was just a warm brilliant way of dealing with it acknowledging with it not breaking rapport and in the end he actually got this guy up to have a hug and you know that everyone was wetting themselves laughing there were cheers there were whoops and the, the heckler in question was shaking his hand you know i bet he's a super fan now for the the rest of life so in the same way with with difficult conversations, it's kind of like, okay, how can I and this? You know, how can I, I hear what you're saying, and. Um, uh, I get where you're coming from, and. Um, you know, that, that that's a really, oh, just joyful way of rather than, you know, having this barrier, this, this kind of difficulty uh, to kind of work around it. Yeah, so what you're doing by doing that is you're kind of building the understanding. So you're listening to somebody and you're trying to um, have empathy with them and get your own perspective across. So it's never exactly. a, it's not a battle, it's exactly. a conversation. Exactly that. It's a conversation and back to that oxytocin thing in the, in the, in the context of comedy, it's, you know, I, I have a philosophy of um, no one left behind in the audience. You know, I don't want everyone to laugh. I don't want it to be at the expense of one or two people. That's, mm. that's not fun. Um, so, you know, I think the really good quality humor is where everyone comes out having got something and it's warm and so on. And in the same way in the workplace, like, how can we, how can we make sure that it's a, it's an and, and it's a, it's a, a rapportful, is that a word? It is now, um, way of doing it. It is now. I now like you it. said it out loud mm. on the podcast. Yeah. We'll copyright, have it. copyright it right there. I've written it down. Yeah. Copyright. <laughs> um, and that's really interesting as well. Cause I think 
some people, in fact, many people assume that comedy has to be about putting someone else down yeah, or about, you know, that. And, and that's the kind of thing that actually in a workplace can be really divisive rather than helpful. Mm. So it's about finding the the right kind of funny, isn't it? And the right kind of technique that isn't about, oh, actually, we'll laugh because we'll just put someone else down. Exactly. Or, yeah. you know, laugh at somebody rather exactly. than with somebody. And I think it's it's almost like humour in the workplace is, is a really good indication of power. It's, it's almost like the best 360 tool that you can have. Because if you want to know who's got the power... See who gets a laugh, even when they tell a rubbish joke. I know you can guarantee the <laughs> boss. The boss cracks a joke. And I was like, <laughs> you know, it is, and it's because it's a power play thing. So if you're yeah. in an office uh, environment and everyone's laughing at your jokes, just take a moment and notice. You know, is that a power thing? Um, you know, often you know, chief execs have kind of lost that ability to to, to realise that. Um, or are we are we always laughing at the same person? Is it always the same person who's the butt of the joke? And I find this you know, with families, in friendship groups, in teams, in the corporate world, that's a really good red light flashing indicator on your kind of 360 report to go, mm, is that okay? You know, or is that become a bullying, a laughing at rather than a, um, you know, an oxytocin inducing social lubricant, as it were social lubricant that is a phrase i didn't expect to hear today well there you go you see reportfulnessy and 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 social lubricant it's all it's all happening right here yeah right here right now on this podcast Mm, indeed so love the technique so far so thinking about you know what could be useful here think rather than what could be funny here what could help us get there yeah the and rather yeah. than the but or that mm-hmm. i just want to get my head across and it's really interesting often i talk to people my people i coach people i'm working with around this idea that they talk about i need to have a difficult conversation mm-hmm. and i often say to them but if you're labeling it already before yes. you've had it as a difficult conversation are you going into it thinking it's going to be a battle Absolutely. and therefore what is your behavior saying mm. Definitely. And I think that mindset of, um, and, you know, and, and again, I find the kind of stand up comedy is a useful metaphor that if you're walking on stage and you're higher than everyone else and you've got the microphone and they haven't and the spotlight's on you, it's all been set up and manufactured to give you power. So how, how are you going to use that power, you know, young grasshopper? Um, you can use it to eviscerate people in the audience or you can use it to speak your truth. You can use it to be authentic. You can use it to handle hot topics. And it was really liberating. My last Edinburgh Fringe run um, was called Estrogen Armageddon. Um, and it was all about menopause. And it was just like a real penny dropping, like I'm going to talk to my tribe about a topic that's really important to me. And I'm going to use that power that I have in the spotlight with the microphone to be me and to talk about stuff that's really important to me and using all that and stuff you know if people don't like it that's cool you know I'm going to talk about controversial things like HRT or whatever and you know and we can and our way out of it of any you know kind of spiciness so so yeah I think it's exactly the same in the corporate world everyone everyone holds the microphone at some point you know even if you're the most junior marginalized whatever there will be points if you spot them where you've got the microphone you've got the opportunity to grab the microphone and um 
and and yeah the, the choice of you, know, you don't have to like, I cannot be I think for the first couple of years I did try to be a kind of alpha male comic and it's like uh Harriet note to self you're not an alpha male probably not the best strategy and as soon as you know relax into your authentic way of doing it, it's like oh yeah this this works now mm, okay but that that's really interesting in the world of work though isn't it about how because and maybe it's not right here but we see very many in the past alpha male type comics yeah. so it's it's a a role model of what a comic looks like Absolutely. um versus what your version of comedy looks like yeah, definitely. and it happens so much in the workplace where people try and adapt and flex themselves so much to become what they see yes so far so if you are in a um group that's been marginalized or minority in the workplace or if the culture is very alpha and very in Mm. that masculine world and you're a woman trying to you know trying to get on it's so easy in some ways to get lost in that adapting of yourself versus being strong in the authenticity authenticity of who you are absolutely and again there are so many parallels when I started out say 2003 was my first gig um, and it was still very firmly that you'd get comedy bookers going, oh, I've already got one woman on the uh, on the bill. So I think that's enough. Um, I'd have people, you know, very openly go, well, yeah, but women aren't funny. And I think that's shifted. Um, it's still there, but it's shifted. So I think it's really analogous to the workplace that, yeah, I absolutely tried to be that stale, pale male to begin with. Um, and and then you kind of go, I'm never going to win that. I'm never going to, A, it's not me. What's the point? But also I'm never, there's always going to be someone who's, you know, a better in adverse commas, alpha male than I am, because look, there's hundreds of them. So it actually, the more I relaxed into, um, yeah, what I wanted to talk about in my style, it differentiated me. It made me noticeable. Yeah. I found my tribe. It was just easier. And also you find your support group, right? So, um, whether it's, you know, the kind of female comics kind of support groups on Facebook and all that stuff. But actually, it's also knowing, you know, people of any gender, any background that are are supporting. And I do think there's a big question mark around when do you when do you fight the battle or when do you feel right? This is just not I'm just not getting the joy here. I'm not going to I'm not going to play in this arena. So, for example, Susan Kalman decided quite early on, I'm not going to play this type of club where it was a real kind of, you know, stag party, woo, and it was a really successful train across the whole of the UK. But she said, you know, immediately I stand up, they call, you know, they call me fat, they call me lesbian. What is the point? This is not joyful. I'm not doing it. Um, so I think that's mm. a really interesting space for us in work around where do I fight, where do I stand up, and where do I go? Not fun. Bye. And that's a really personal question, but I think knowing that you can walk away knowing that there's, you know, in a gig, you can go, yeah, bye. It's quite a liberating <laughs> thing to do. Yeah. And, and to not, you know, I, I, I talk about this quite a lot is that not everyone's going to like you. You're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And yes. equally, you know what you like as well. So you know that you don't like all types of comics. You know that you don't like all the people yeah. that you work with. We're not in a zone where you have to like 100% of people or yeah. be liked by 100% of people. And there's a, a different balance for everyone, isn't there, at work about actually at which point does is there not enough of a tribe yes. for you to have the the combined joy, the 
the things that you get from having an amazing squad around you yeah. with different skills and different people who who really kind of lift you up and raise you and get you mm. and that will be different for everyone but it's that idea that you actually have the choice you have a choice to think about is this the right place for me should I be thinking about something else um, or is it actually that I just need to be myself a bit more? And if I'm myself a bit more, I might find that tribe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and there's no one answer. So I, I found, you know, the first Edinburgh Fringe that I did, I was kind of trying to compete with the student improvs and that this isn't, I was too generic. Um, the, the year that I I, I did the, the menopause, you shouldn't eat Armageddon. Even flowering was so much easier. There were some people who go, ooh, God, and walk by. It's like, cool. Well, you would not have enjoyed it. So I'm glad that we filtered you out right from the get-go. Um, but the people who turned up, you know, absolutely knew what they, the, they were coming for. So it's like the marketing was easier. The rapport was easier. It just, it just flowed better. And I think that squad thing, sometimes you get it inside work. I think often we underestimate how much we need stuff outside work as well. I mean, I love the fact that Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman, you know, talks about friendship in such a passionate way. It's like this guy is an economist. He's a, you know, he does some serious maths. He does some yeah. serious, econ- you know, like this isn't fluffy, right? You know, you need you need that cheerleader group inside and outside of work to kind of get the perspective and the, and the, and the, and the joy and the balance. And it's been hard, hasn't it, in 2020 when we think about, in some ways, apart from online, we kind of lost some of the connections with our cheerleaders, both inside and outside of work. Yeah. And trying I, to do it online yeah. is different. It is. And I think, again, you know, this is going to probably sound cheesy, like, oh, what's good about that? Um, you know, it's been, it's been tough, right? It's been tough. And trying to find that, that slice of like, what could be useful here? It certainly forced me to really be more, more choiceful, more conscious about, the connections that I have. I think I was on a bit more of a an autopilot of this is the commute that I do and these are the people I hang out with and these are the colleagues and yada, yada, yada. And, um, you know, having to actively go, right, actually, I should be reaching out to that person over there because they are, you know, they are my battery recharge person or, you know, they are my, yeah. my nutrition, my kind of, you know, uh, connectedness nutrition. Um, and it's, it's funny, I, I've started up a, a, I did a lockdown leg up where we did sort of, you know, comedy nights every week and cooking nights every week. And it was, it started off as a coaching community, but it was actually, we just need some connection. And I was surprised how much connection we could create through shared experience, joy, um, you know, and, 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 and an active decision to, to kind of connect. Yeah. And it is about that being more mindful. And actually, um, I think probably I could put myself in this category. It's easy to get lazy about your connections, the people that you just generally see regularly because they're, they sit next to you or the people who, well, they sit next to you in the normal world or the people that you always see on a Thursday night, because that's when you do your thing or your hobby that those are people are there. And actually, in some cases, it's been quite nice to think about, actually, I need to reach out to some different yeah. people and to yeah. some, some people who I, I, I would have seen at a certain event or I would have seen once a year because we were doing something. Yeah. And where those things haven't happened, taking the more proactive approach to actually having a conversation or scheduling something in the diary. I think another kind of comic strategy almost that I find fascinating is is often like routine and deadlines you know they don't sound very joyful and as a kind of I guess a, 
a creative type, you know, I, I, I rail against constraints, but they can be so freeing that, you know, if you've got the gig in the diary, it's going to happen, you know, um, if you yeah. set your, if you, you know, if, if, so it's, it's like, what are the default settings? Um, and, you know, I've been MC at certain nights where it like, it just, this is when the regularity of how it happens. So you kind of don't have to think about it. You just have to show up and get connected and feel, feel joyful. So it's made me think about what, how can I, you know, make the default setting joy rather than, I mean, daft example, right? I've got so into podcasts. See what I've done there, Beth. You see, plugging the whole concept. Oh, love it. Yeah, good. Um, you know, for like the chores around the house. And it sounds such a blinding flash of the obvious. But actually, if I'm going to be folding the laundry or doing the washing up, I might as well have a laugh while I'm doing it. Um, so kind of making that the default setting has been really, really interesting. And almost kind of really looking at your habits and your routines and saying, where can I build in things that yeah. make it more joyful within those mundane, ordinary things? And what is it, you know, you find a podcast joyful. What do other people find joyful? Yeah. What is it that gives you that moment, even if it is a fleeting moment? And with work joy, we're always talking about the fact that you're not going to feel joyful 100% of the time. And yeah. if you did, you probably wouldn't feel as joyful as you did if you had some lows because sure. the, the highs feel higher and the low, you know, you know, yeah. you get that. Um, but it's about how do you build in, you know, you'll have talked about this for sure in the, in the world of rowing and how you get that, that little tiny thing that makes a big difference, the little tiny yeah. thing you do every day that you build up to, it becomes a habit of more joy. So if it is, I get to listen to my favorite podcast when I fold the washing brilliant it makes folding the washing seem a lot less boring and it yeah. gives you a little bit more and then you almost look forward to it even though it's a really mundane task because you get to do something else and it's uh, repeating your language that I get to do this yes I have to absolutely do this. and and I think there's there's um I, mean, I find habit formation a whole topic in its own right fascinating that um you know the reason we we have we get habits get stuck is because you get that dopamine hit that your body gets conditioned to going, Oh, here's the trigger. Oh, dopamine hit. And it could be a really inappropriate one that it's like, you know, smoking or, um, you know, but, but if, if you're trying to kind of set up a new habit, then actually factoring in the joy to it, factoring and making it fun, um, can be massive. I mean, we've, again, during the kind of lockdown leg up thing that I ran, we did this thing of like move for one minute. So you were sent a daft video uh, to do a bit of exercise for just one minute. I mean, come on, we can do one minute. And the, you know, the subject um, of the email was a bit daft. And if they did it, they'd get uh, a video of, you know, a panda rolling down a slide or something as a, just to kind of, you know, so the hope would be, you know, it, it's, you get a bit of a laugh as the trigger to do this useful thing, the useful thing, you know, might not feel, you might not get the dopamine hit from immediately. So let me show you a panda rolling down a hill until you get the dopamine hit, you know, and, and it was just, it was just really funny the, the reactions we got of people going, I'm now associating exercise with having a laugh and pandas. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you get people saying, oh, I'm just going to go to the panda rather than just going to the gym because they're associated so heavily in their brain. Oh, I wonder Pandas if Ed, gym Ed, time. Ed and his zoo is going to have this mysterious queue of people. Like, I don't know why. It's I don't know. And they're all doing lunges. around. The, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I was going to say, why are so many people squatting and like <laughs> lunging outside of the panda cage? Oh, yeah. And everyone's wearing black and white. It's yeah, very yeah. strange. And it will all come back to you and they'll be like, that's Harriet's fault. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
Uh, <laughs> you see, we've gone down a laughing route now, which is great. Um, so, <laughs> it, and I love this idea that the habit formation is that if you build joy into it, it doesn't have to be the thing that's joyful. It could be something else alongside it that creates that whole joyful feeling. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's a, a research. I think she called Katie Milkman. I think it's Milkman because that just stuck in my head. Um, and she talks about temptation bundling. It's like, look, if you struggle going to the gym and you love eating that bar of chocolate, why not actually go? Well, when I'm at the gym, I'll eat that bar of chocolate. Just bundle it together, and then you know you're kind of offsetting. The, the, you know, the, at least it means you do the good stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully you get to a place where the, actually the activity itself is joyful enough, but um, but often, I mean, even like teeth cleaning, the research suggests that it's actually that, that squeaky clean feeling of a, of, you know, ding, minty mouth that is, <laughs> is the dopamine hit. Like, really? Really? Oh, yes, really. Um, and, um, you know, it's not, it's not like they're going, wow, I feel so much better for having removed teeth decay at some indeterminate future <laughs> point in my life. You know, it's the immediate ding. So the more visceral we can get it and you don't get much more visceral than a bit of a laugh and some joy. Definitely definitely and um so this temptation bundling and thinking about your version of the i would call it the adulting stuff like having to do the laundry yeah. and you know the boring life admin stuff that you have to do like paying a pension and all, all those kind of things if we can find a way to temptation bundle them together in some way that works really well and there must be a hundred examples or a million examples of things that you have to do at work that you don't want to do that if you you don't want to do or you don't find any joy from so you just know you have to get on and do them what could you bundle that with yeah. to make it more joyful yeah and and you can also get a double hit that that um, if you can make it a social thing, then you build in the accountability. So, I mean, it depends, right? It depends, you know, but it could be right. Okay. Let's both commit that we're doing our, you know, I don't know that invoice or expense spreadsheet of doom that we all hate. So we're going to do it at exactly the same time, half an hour, um, you know, and then, you know, at, at 12 o'clock we, you know, we have a, a five minute cup of tea FaceTime or, you know, and then you've got the accountability built in. Um, that well, I better flipping do it because you know Jenny's doing it at the same time. Um, it, it depends on the task in hand, right? I mean, I it, the, the, you know like we've got the, the, the kids. We do a, a kind of um, they have to do housework club. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> so you've made it fun by making it a club. It's a club, and if for about a week they're like, it's like, hang on a minute, hang, this isn't a club, right? You know, this isn't like karate club. Um, but um, you know, put the music on. It's just an hour. Everyone does it at the same time bit of banter you know so I, I it's it's yeah depending on what the thing is at work whether it's trying to make the the actual thing itself more enjoyable or the the kind of trigger for it or the reward for it enjoyable or making it social that they, those can be some really interesting hooks to to get the dull stuff done yeah I'm just remembering uh, at one point um, in an organisation I worked with, I had to get loads of volunteers to help me um, set up a conference area in our mm. offices. And basically I was getting people to move big flip charts and tables and chairs around, which is in theory really, Ooh. really boring. So what we did is we put loads of music on playing it out loud and then we did it like a ballet. So we, I was like directing a ballet. <laughs> 
and people had to like move in and people to start with were like oh this looks like forced fun and nobody <laughs> likes forced fun and then the minute like you've got one of the directors with a flip chart like swooning on down oh I love it <laughs> to get it sorted out but that is the whole point that was really boring it was really hard it was annoying and it had to be done and it was late at night getting ready for the next day but suddenly doing something so random yeah really made a difference and yeah. you'd never repeat that that is not anything to ever no. be repeated I've got a little video of it on my phone and occasionally oh, just go awesome. back and look at it yeah and I go this is hilarious but it's one of those things like totally unexpected we just started doing it and then it all and everyone was giggling by the end of it rather than going oh this is really hard work moving 250 chairs yeah one place yeah yeah <laughs> And it's and that's a classic, like you know, you had to be there, right? Because you're right, people, totally. Because people might be going, "Oh my god, that sounds horrendous." But again, it comes back to that authenticity piece. I love the fact in comedy that you know you might be a massive fan of James A. Caster. You might hate him. You might love Billy Connolly. You might hate him. You like Mike, Michael McIntyre. You no, know, just just there's so many different types of comics out there. And in comedy, we celebrate that. We celebrate the difference. And it's like you've got to find the stuff you genuinely laugh at. And I wish we could take that say that metaphor that strategy and just kind of shift it to the right a bit and go okay at work what are your super strengths what are you you know what are you really good at where is you in flow and you know for sure of course there are the bits we need to suck up like we've just talked about the kind of the dull bits but you know James Acaster is brilliant because he's a hundred percent James Acaster if he tried to be uh you know Josie Lawrence it would not go well for him so yeah right. authenticity so don't try to be anyone else. Be you. Find out what makes you laugh. Have the right squad around you. Um, make effort to make connection. Use the and rather than the but or here's yeah. my opinion on it and, and see where it can get you because none of those things are complicated to do. They just take some thinking and absolutely some, some of the kind of that interrupting the unhelpful habits you've put in place over many years to kind of go oh actually I don't need to do that in that way anymore exactly and as I said there's you know there's the twin tracks right we said right at the beginning of this conversation sometimes it's around can I get humor into my life whatever humor means for you know for us authentically and also you know that piece around we're not saying you've got to be funny or it's around here are some techniques you can steal you know I will use it to manage hecklers um, and I'll use it to, to manage, you know, that colleague that I've labelled as difficult or, uh, you know, that that's a tactic that I'm using to build a joke, which I can tell on stage. It's exactly the same tactic that I'll use to unpick a difficult problem and relabel it as something that's useful. But I just haven't found, you know, I, I haven't found the usefulness yet. Yeah. So amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of those brilliant um, bits of insight and your story and for being funny as well which I always love to talk to people <laughs> who make me laugh I have five really quick fire questions for let's you let's do it okay let's do it okay so question one for you personally what is always guaranteed to bring you some work joy um, I have a daft picture on my phone lock screen every time at the moment it is a bollard that has been yarn bombed what is a yarn bomb it's when someone does knitting and puts over something so you might knit and cover a bench with a bench shaped bit of knitting so someone just went <laughs> long and put bollard shaped knit and it's beautifully beautifully knitted so it's just taking something really done and going for no apparent reason genius 
brilliant so have something that you see all the time and look at it and makes you laugh brilliant that's for me yeah um <laughs> what book are you currently reading um i'm not because i'm a bad girl so i'm going to give you i'm listening to a podcast which is ah, cool. cabin pressure which okay humor's subjective right but it's a, a bbc sitcom um audio book it's got Benedict Cumberbatch in it it's just I just find it I think it's very very funny and it's and it's family friendly as well so that's giving me joy right now brilliant ah thank you um what is the best or most useful bit of advice that you've ever been given that you always come back to um on that comedy course in the ramshackle church hall was you're not there to do your set you're there to create laughter and I love that. It's, you, we're not here to do the do. You know, what's the, it's, it's, what's the purpose is to bring joy, make people laugh. I love that. So bring it back to the purpose. What's the purpose? The, yeah. Yeah. What you're, yeah. Brilliant. Um, so to round it all off, what is the one super practical bit of advice for our listeners that is something that they could take from your advice from today to do it today do it tomorrow do it easily do it quickly that might help get them a bit of a bit of work joy through the lens of laughter and funniness i think it's that bit about assumptions if a comic can find a joke about anything and okay it might be appropriate or not we might not you know not find it funny or not but if they can take anything and make it funny then surely surely if we just ask ourselves the question you know what assumptions can I bust or how can, you know, what's useful about this? We can look at things in a different way. Yeah. So it's almost just taking that couple of seconds, isn't it? To say, actually, what are my assumptions here? And can I bust them a little bit? Yeah. How can I look at this differently? Yeah. Oh yeah. Brilliant. Definitely. Thank you so much for joining us today, Harriet. It's been a laugh. Oh, it's been um, so much fun. Thank you. <laughs> And what um, I'd love you to share, if you can, before we finish off, is where can people find out more about you, your philosophy, what you do, your comedy, and to get in touch with you? So the simplest is um, check out harrietbeveridge.com. So I've usually got some daft endeavour, like I was talking about the lockdown le leg up that people can sign up for. Um, or if you want to book me for a gig or a, a, you know, a, a, a speech at work or some coaching, then yeah, harrietbeveridge.com is the easiest way to find me brilliant and we'll put the link on the website page as well so that people can click straight through thank you thank you very much harriet it's been great to chat with you um i'm loving that we have invented new words and i've learned new phrases um <laughs> today social lubricant um <laughs> and rapporify was it or something in that world it was something like that um, <laughs> we'll we'll take them forward we'll take i always it. say if shakespeare was allowed to invent words why can't we game um, game on make it happen i am gonna go away and find some more things to laugh at because how good it is for your brain and also just really focus on that you know who in your squad is there who who builds you up what do you find funny and bring more of that into my everyday life and i hope our listeners can do the same so huge thank you and perhaps we'll come and talk to you again soon hooray thanks for having me and remember to always rock down to electric avenue i will definitely rock down to electric avenue Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks all for listening to our conversation with Harriet. I think she's given me some things to think about and some advice. Things like how might we change the label we put on things? 
how might we pause for a few moments and consider what are the assumptions we're making in this situation? And actually, what's useful about the situation, however hard it is, there might be something to gain from it. I also love this concept that we can learn so much from different and seemingly unrelated fields. In Harriet's example, we're putting together comedy and business. Yeah, I'm sure there's a hundred different things where we can take the techniques and apply them to our work to get more work joy. I'm definitely going to think about um, Harriet's advice there. You're not there to do your set. You're here to create laughter. And that idea of always bringing things back to your purpose. I think that's my my takeaway is how do I take that and use that in my world? Thank you all for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. Do let us know your feedback. Do tell us what advice you're taking what things you're reading what you're learning through this podcast and you can do that on our instagram which is create work joy looking forward to talking to you again soon